As an icebreaker, let me tell you a story. A young man saw an elderly man. He had been watching this elderly man since he was born. I had never heard a quarrel from their, from their home. So he went to this elderly man and asked, what is the secret? The elderly man looked at him and said, okay, if you want to know, I will tell you a story. And this is the story he told the young man. So when I got married, after the service, we went for the reception with all the people who invited, everything went fine. Then we decided to go to pull out of that place on a horse-drawn cart. There are no limousines and cars in those days. So while we're on the way to the hotel where we'll do our honeymoon, somehow the horse suddenly just stopped and went down on his, on his side. See, my wife got down from the back, walked straight to the front of the horse, looked straight in the eyes of the horse and said, one. Came back off and sat down. Somehow they got the horse going again. After a short while, the horse went down again. The cart stopped. So my wife got down, went around in front of the horse, looked straight in his eyes, said, two. And came back, sat down. Somehow they got the horse going again. The third time it happened, so my wife went down to the horse, looked at the, the horse in the face, and said, three. And she put her hand in the bag, brought out a gun, and shot the horse. And the horse died. So when she came back and sat, I said, that is a dumb horse. What does it understand? Do you know why it did that my wife looked straight in my face and said, one. <laughs> and the old man told the young man, since then, I have not gone past the count one. So, if you want your marriage to work, if you don't want to have any problems, you don't want to have any issues, don't go past one. Praise God. I think if that is all you take away from here, I think you got the formula. Great. Now, there are certain things that have, we have come to accept about marriage. Because people have talked about it so much, and somehow it sounded either logical or there's no other alternative to those 
things that we have come to accept. We have classified them into five us tonight. And I'm going to start by introducing one of such myths, one of such traditional, I don't know how to describe it now, traditional compromises that those who are at the helm of affairs in the society have come to, es to establish in the minds of the people they lead. The first place to go is to, to go to the scriptures, isn't it? Matthew 19. We're going to read the first 11 verses, and I want to show us that though marriage is a fundamental basis on which society is structured and therefore critical and important. Man has gradually and carefully and in a very subtle manner reduced it to his convenience. A marriage is not supposed to be for anybody's convenience. Somebody created it and for a purpose. So when we have dealt with the myths that we have come to accept and regard as what we know, know and pass from generation to generation as the nature of marriage within the society, though we are come to do that, marriage has a purpose, a specific and unique purpose. We'll try to find out where that is. Matthew 19 from verse 1. And it happened when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came into the borders of Judea beyond Jordan. And great crowds followed him and he healed them there. Now, this is a very typical thing that Jesus did while he was physically on earth with us. Great crowds followed him. He healed them, or he fed them, or he told them parables, or he taught them about the kingdom. Verse 3. And the Pharisees came to him tempting him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every reason? Many translations translate that every differently. Some translations say, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any and every reason? So you can just cook up something if you are not, if you are tired with that. Cook up something and say, I don't want you anymore. And she's supposed to happily pack his things and say, thank you, and go. <laughs> and the question I keep asking, when society puts this type of thing on women, 
Why is it that they don't give the same right to the women to come up with any reason and send their husband packing? Uh huh. You know? Verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For, the, for this cause a man shall leave father and mother and shall cling to his wife and the two of them shall become one flesh. Therefore, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They say to him, why did Moses then command to give a bill of divorce and put her away? He said to them, because of your hard-heartedness, Moses allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So in, in between the beginning and this time that Moses gave you permission to put away your wives, what happened? So in the beginning, it was not so. So what happened between the beginning and now? And whatever happened between the beginning and now that allows a man to write a bill of divorce and give to his wife and send her packing. Why whatever happened, why did whatever happened not allow the wife to give a bill of divorce to her husband? So you know that some people have crafted some of these things for their convenience. In the beginning, he who made them, made them male and female. Today, what is happening? Just a few days ago, just this last week, there was a lot of celebration in, in Korea. Sorry? In Korea that the law has now been passed, the first in the whole of Asia, that a man can marry another man. And the woman can marry another woman. And the very first couple to be married as gays were celebrating. And I looked carefully at the pictures, and even they that were doing that, it, is so, it was so clear, they didn't even believe it. Because one of them was dressed like a woman, was wearing earrings, was wearing skirt and all that. I said, what is this? You don't believe something and you're doing it. Today, what was not in the beginning is coming into... I remember a close friend of mine was invited to the U.S. 
and he was facing the audience for a program. And he was introducing himself. And he says, my name is from Nigeria. I am married to one female wife. <laughs> and the whole <laughs> congregation he started murmuring. See, I don't care. I am married to one female wife. <laughs> so in the beginning, it was not so. Have you not read? This is Jesus Christ, about 30 years old, talking to the Pharisees that have been there, the custodians of the religious heritage of Israel. The people that put the law together and were guarding the law so jealously. Jesus is asking, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? That is the very first thing we should take note of. because of your hard-heartedness, Moses allowed you. In the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever shall put away his wife except for fornication and shall marry another commits present continuous tense commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is put away, there's no except for anything here now. Whoever marries anyone who is put away commits adultery. Now the very point I want us to look at here, to observe here, which when I first observed it, it was strange to me. His disciples, these people that were handpicked to be with him, out of the whole of the people in Israel, Jesus went about, picked these people, 12 of them, one after the other, first to be with him and so that he can send them out. His disciples said to him, if this is the case of the man with his wife, it is not good to marry. I mean, these are people that they are close enough to Jesus to understand. They have been separated from the society that have gone astray. So he expect them to understand what Jesus was saying at least understand better than the crowd that followed him for healing and for bread and fish. They, has, they have also been drawn into this compromise. If the matter of, the, of a man and his wife is like this, then it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not all 
receive this word except those to whom it is given. Tonight, I believe you are here to hear what we have to say because it is given to you. Amen. Amen. So how come the matter of marriage is the issue that can be so subjected to personal convenience and debate when it is so easy to go back to the beginning and find out? Because Jesus referred to the beginning. So the beginning is known. And he asked, have you not read? The same people that taught him is asking them whether they have read. That he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. So there must be a purpose. This is one basic source of the myths that we have come to accept as true of marriage. We have come to accept and to even expect that they are true when we have no basis for them. You will be surprised but by the time we run through them, the five of them, is something that you yourself have, have, has, you have even come to believe. You know, there are certain things that have been said so often, so many times, and emphasized without any counter that have seeped into your subconscious as true, though you cannot defend it. This is the case with this means. Myth number one, and this is where the young people find themselves. Myth number one, it is difficult to find the right person to marry. Or oh, let me ask you, is it easy to find the right person to marry? Is it easy? Now you are scared. You are scared of answering. Okay, is it difficult to find the right person to marry? Is it so obvious that when you are ready to marry, Mr. Wright just walks in and you take off? Is it that easy? No, if it is easy, let me know. Then I'll take it off from the list of myths here. You see, it has become accepted as so difficult that most of the marriage seminars that we attend and conduct and Bible studies and things, this has always been the question. How do I know the person to marry? Why is it so difficult to know the person to marry? Why are you laughing at that? Amen. For me, it was very easy. Very, very easy. 
but I don't have time to tell you the story now. I'm sure some of you are already See, young people, they get to a certain age and they preoccupy themselves with a search for the right person to marry. Young men will be looking for the right girl to marry. The girls are so many of these boys coming around disturbing me. Who is the right one? And usually... It is at this point that God is so specifically quiet. <laughs> Tactically quiet. At best, we have come to the conclusion that, okay, if you are lucky, you meet the right person, isn't it? We have reduced it because we don't want to take responsibility for, the, for making mistakes. See, after all, it is by luck. Hmm? Or you are doing permutation and combination and trying to eliminate people. And the one that you think you want to take off with. He has not yet asked you. He has not yet asked you. So you are waiting, you are hoping and praying and positioning yourself tactically so that he will notice. Eh? Why don't you walk to him and ask? Aha, uh aha, -huh. uh -huh. you see? Just adjust your dress and go ahead. <clears throat> no, not just I'm here. Ask. You see? What are you uh, hoping to, for him to ask? Praise God. I'm waiting for him to ask. Time is going and nobody is showing up. These are the, these are the things we shroud such an important choice and step to take in life. Do you think God will leave such an important thing to chance and to luck. So why don't you find out from the beginning? Can I tell you the truth? To solve and to demystify this myth We'll go back to the scripture. My wife and I were invited to the NYC fellowship in Kaduna many years ago on the same topic. 
You know, that is the stage where this thing becomes a nightmare. Between graduating from university, doing the NYSC, because immediately after that, and you get a work, and start working, start making money, especially for our sisters. If you begin to prosper at this level, many of them, because of fear, begin to tone down their prosperity so that the boys will not be afraid. True or false? You know? All those gimmicks will not work. If God is prospering you, he's prospering you. You need to trust him. So we were there teaching. Then we came to this same topic. How do I find the right person to marry? And we had prepared our notes, arranged all the scripture verses, everything ready. And they did some singing, introduced us. And as I stepped forward to start speaking, the Lord says, tell them, it is not your business to find the right person. At first I froze. Because all that I have prepared just vanished into thin air like that. <laughs> and as soon as I told them that, God used the same scriptures that I had arranged to explain why it is not your business to find the girl. It is not your business to find the man. And take it very seriously from me. Don't take responsibility. Because if you do, then you are on your own. You don't make a choice and say, God, come and put your rubber stamp on this. God was very emphatic and clear about it. It is not your business to find the right person to marry. Do I make you recite it so that you will not forget? <laughs> eh? Will you remember? Yes. Good. It is not your business. So don't make it your business. Ah. But how do I? You don't have to. And I'll show you that in a moment. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 24. Take down that. And Jehovah said, Jehovah God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I... No, 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 no. That is not in scripture. Let him go and look for the person. Is that what is there? Huh? Let her manage and position herself to be seen. Is that what is there? No. I will make a helper suitable for him. Is that not what you are looking for? A helper suitable for you, both ways. 
I will make him, or the other way around, I will make her a helper, not a master, a helper suitable for her. Okay. And out of the ground, Jehovah God formed every animal of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he will call them. Most people assume they understand what happened here. And even myself, I have assumed I understood it until sometime last year that the meaning of this changed. Many people thought God ran out of names for the things he was creating. So when he made the animals, he didn't know what to call them, so he brought them to Adam. Name these animals. Did God create anything that he did not know the name for? Are you sure? So when he created all the animals, he had names for them. Created the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, creeping animals, creeping things, beasts of the field. Of course, he had a name for every one of them. Even when he created the woman, did he know that he was creating a woman? Good. Let me just tell you quickly. This is bonus now I'm giving you. God made up his mind, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make, up, make man in our image and in our likeness. Now, the first make is bara, which means create something out of nothing. Then God created man in his image. In his image created he them. Male and female created he them. Isn't it? Good. Then God squeezed into shape. That's the, the meaning of the word yasar, which is to make, to mold. Just like a potter will carry a lump of clay and squeeze into the shape he wants it to take. After that, God breathes his breath into the man that he has made, and man became a living soul. We are familiar with that. Did God know that it was Adam who was creating? Good. And God created him in his own likeness and image. Good. Which means that living soul that God created had the life of God in himself. True or false? By the time 
God looked at him and said, it is not good that the man should be alone. That same man was thinking like God was thinking, isn't it? He knew like God knew. God was now looking for a helper for this same man. And so God made all the animals and did a beauty pageant parade. Did you say no? You are changing your mind. You say no and now you are saying yes. That's what God did. God passed all these animals for the man to see which one to marry. Now look at it. Look at the story. That's what happened. And Adam began to mention the names of these animals and whatever he called them was exactly what God had in mind to call them. That was his name. The Bible didn't say that became his name. But most people read that into it because that is the way man operates in fallen nature. God demonstrated that this creature that I have made in my own image thinks like me. He knew what I knew to give each of these animals as their names. So whatever he called them, that was their name. Now, you see, the last assignment my, my father did before he passed on was the Bible translation. And I worked very closely with him in Bible translation. And if you saw the, the rigorous Bible translations go, translators go through to translate the scriptures you, you read carelessly today, if you knew what they go through, you will respect the Bible you have in your hand in English. There are so many things that the English language cannot I hope I have another two hours. <laughs> there are so many things that the English language cannot capture accurately like the Hebrew and the Greek. I'm not going to take time to go into that because some people are squeezing face already. So, <laughs> for example, there is a scripture that says, that Abraham had the faith of God, eh? that called those things that be not as though they were, isn't it? But that is, that, that thing is translated like that because of the inadequacy of our language. Our language is based on time lags. But what that scripture should have best be translated into should look, sound like, that God that calls those things that be not into being. As he's saying it, they are becoming. Not that he said it, then something happens and then they become. 
or the way it is trans translated in scripture now, and the way we hear it, it sounds like God is, since he's God, we cannot say he's telling lies, but he's calling those things that don't exist as though they existed. So he's deceiving us. But that's not what he, whatever God speaks out of his mouth becomes. He speaks them into being. So he, they existed in him. Then he speaks them into existence. Do you understand? So even though they were not there, once he says they are there, they are there. And that is what is happening here. So when God did that, he knew that, yes, everything he wanted to produce in this human being were already there. But if you look at that scripture critically, there's an article before man. And many of us carelessly translate, read it or recite it or say it as God doesn't want man to be alone. That's not what that scripture says. That scripture says, and Jehovah God said, it is not good that the man, that singular entity into which he breathed his own life into, the breath of lives, if you check the Hebrew, life in that scripture is plural. So both Adam, man, Adam, woman, were complete in that singular entity that he created. Okay. And he brought them to Adam to see what he, Adam, would call them. Okay? And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. It is a that became its name. That was its name. So he was in every way in agreement with what God had done. But the Bible says, but for Adam, there was none of those animals found suitable as a helper for him. It was after that God decided to do experiment number two. Cause a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he took a rib out of him and made a woman. And brought her to the man again. When he made that rib, he made that rib into what? 
the God knew that it was a woman. Exactly the way he did for the animals. He made the rib into a woman and brought her to Adam. Now Adam looked at this woman. Something he has never seen before. I said, aha, this now is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. The same thing God made up his mind to make. Do you understand now? The way you are looking. You're not feeling excited that you understand. But let it be as it is. Verse 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father. Oh, this man now, leaving his father, is a male man. Eh? The male man must leave his father and his mother eh? and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. But today, we say it's God made mistake there. It is the woman that must leave her father and her mother and move to the man's house and they too shall become one flesh. Could that be the beginning of our troubles. The Bible says the man should leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Is that what the Bible says? So what happens? Between what, happen, what the Bible says and today and the things you are practicing today, is there a difference? Talk now. There's a difference. <laughs> you are a very wise man. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So if a woman leaves her father and her mother and be joined to her husband, are they one flesh? <laughs> Praise God. I don't have time to go into all those details right now. I'll reserve that for when you come for counseling. That is part of the myth. We have turned some of these things that we find difficult to accept and replace them with what is convenient for us. 
I don't know how I'm doing with time. You are shaking your head. How many hours do I have? Sorry? I should continue. Ten minutes, and I've just finished meet number one. Okay. Meet number two. Marriage or wedding is very expensive. Is it expensive? Aha, uh aha. -huh, uh -huh. Now you are being careful, and I'm very happy about that. How much does it cost to wed? You know, funny enough, I met a, 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 a young woman who was doing her NYC. You know, and soon I found out she was get, trying you know, preparing to get married. So I just jokingly asked her, what is your budget for your wedding? She looked at me. Two million. Two million. Out of the two million, how much have you saved? <laughs> Why should I ask that type of question? We have some level of fantasies in our head of what our wedding should be like. True or false? But really, the wedding comprises of the service, church service, and reception. True? Now, if you finish the church service, if you finish the church service, and there is no reception. Are you married? Confirm. So why must you have a reception? You see? To celebrate what? I like that answer. Very wise answer. Now, I... I <laughs> I did a little exercise before I came with my wife. I said, let's just calculate, it, calculate the minimum that it should cost for you to marry. We'll be surprised how much it came to. Now, let's start working this quickly through the chart I have here. Who and who are the bearers must be present people? Let me put it like that so that for the marriage to succeed. Okay. One, the pastor must be there. That is one. Bride and groom, making two of you. The bride's parents, Two, mother and father. The groom's parents, two. The bridesmaid of honor, one. Groom's best man, one. Two other witnesses from each side, making four. So I have a total of 13 people. 
and they fall, they fall with, you see, now we are beginning to expand it. Must they be there for the wedding, for the marriage to? Yes, we have four people, additional. Yes, these people are representing the two families. <laughs> Do you understand? Now, 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 the church service itself, are we here, are we together? The church service itself usually does not cost anything, okay? So assume that after the church service, you take these 13 people for lunch because they must eat lunch. And you budget, you budget 2,500 per plate. Is that good enough? 2,500 per plate. Eh, they will eat well. Okay. So if you calculate and multiply that by the 13. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. No, let's agree. Let's agree. Yes, yes. I like that. I like that. Our pastors be here. Must they be there for the wedding? To be valid. Uh -huh. That's that is so we can even reduce this. So we can even reduce this. Now we did the calculation. Guess how much we came up with? No. Fifty-seven thousand five hundred. You don't, do you need a ring to, to, for the marriage to be valid? Anyway, so now you realize that the, 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 the point is made. But you realize that in every wedding, especially, I mean, I know the ones I have attended, The most expensive parts of this wedding are the, are the optional things. The most expensive items of a wedding ceremony are the optional things. Things that do not have to happen for the marriage to, to be valid. That is number one. Number two. Most of the people that will come and suggest to you, this thing must happen, this one must happen, this other one must happen, they don't contribute anything. They don't contribute anything. If everybody that suggested what should happen, pay it for those things. Oh. So why are our young people so scared of getting married because of the expenses. You only need 57,000 naira. 
Do you understand? So let's look at it. Especially heads of ministries, heads of churches and things, they should put their feet down to bring this down to manageable level. But you know, it is when you bring this type of thing up that somebody says, eh, I don't want to feel cheap. Eh? To d d that wedding day is my day. So all attention will be on me. Ah. So who is supposed to receive all the glory? Between the bride and the author of marriage. These are the issues. So I want to run quickly through this. You say I have 10 minutes. <laughs> now, <laughs> praise God. Why do you want to get married? No, usually in our counseling sessions, the very first questions we ask uh, would be groom and bride. Write down on a piece of paper 10 good reasons why you want to marry. It's at that time that you, you, they start hitting pen on their, on their teeth. And then they'll be thinking, they'll look up to the ceiling, they'll look at paper. And then they begin to split the same reason into, into pieces to make up. I mean, you want to get married. You are investing your life into a system that once you go in and you come out, you have a different status. And you are not careful enough to know that you must have every good reason to go in there. That is when you see some religious answers. I want to fulfill the will of God. <laughs> eh? And they will write every, every reason to make up to ten and carefully exclude sex. And by the time you finish, by the time you finish discussing this thing, Really, you realize that the only reason you have to marry to do any of the things you are saying you want to do is sex. License for sex. Otherwise, if you are not married, that exercise will become fornication, or adultery. So the only reason that you have to marry, the only thing you have to marry to legitimately do to glorify God, that's all that is left. Every other thing you can do with another person. 
legitimately. But most of the reason, the intrinsic reason behind our minds is uh, if, I'm, if I'm not married, they will not respect me in society. Not that some, some societies, some villages, some men are not allowed to enter certain places where decisions are being made if they are single. It will show that I am not responsible. So if I'm married, that will show that I'm a responsible man. And then the woman will, ah, if you go high in society or you are successful in, in business and you have a lot of money, car and house and things, and you are not married, somebody is shaking head. Eh? How will they look at me? They'll be talking to me anyhow. Yes, now I don't want all these small, small boys to be talking to you anyhow. So you get married. Is that good enough reason? These are the myths. Myth number four. One more to go. Myth number four. At what age should you marry? By now, I should have been married. Praise God. I think this particular one, since, since it, um, it's more tilted as an issue, to our sisters and not to incur the rot of the clock, I think I will invite my darling wife. The owner of the pump of my heart. First lady, Her Excellency. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. As I sat down there, <laughs> as I sat down there, I had a lot of comments, especially about um, the wedding reception. We're not talking about traditional wedding where you would have spent all that you want to spend. We're not talking about the church wedding where you would have invited everybody you need to invite. But when you get to the um, wedding reception, you find out that it's very, very expensive. Now, if you want an expensive uh, a wedding. It's possible. 
You can have whatever you really want. But what is your reason behind it? The God that we serve, we're not talking generally about, um, about other people. We're talking about Christians. What is your motive? Who is to be glorified? These are the issues that we have pushed aside and we have become the center. It is my wedding has become the center. I, I don't know whether we're saying something here. So it's not about the spending. It's about your motive. And at times, those people who really want an expensive wedding, they are, even if the couples don't, I mean, the bride and the groom, they don't really want it, or they don't have the means to do that, you find that the relatives, especially parents, use that as a status, you know, point. Am I making sense here? They spend in order to show that this is the family. So they're making a point. And if the parents don't have the relatives we give, believe you me, if they spend that money for you at the wedding, one week after into your wedding, get to them and say you need just 500000 they will not give you anything. They prefer to use that money to make a statement rather than to establish you. We are talking to Christians here. We are not talking to unbelievers. Am I making a point here? And we have, over the years, we have counseled with people, spent most of their money, and that it's the first point of quarrel at home. 